Chris Westoff is going to teach us today about the prophetic, about what Jesus is saying in the prophetic uh, worldwide, and what he might be saying to us, and how that uh, that looks. Chris has been part of Believer's Church for 15 years, and it's just been a really uh, a privilege. In the scriptures, we see in the New Testament that like guys like Paul and uh, Barnabas, and Silas, and Timothy, they, they had what we, this kind of this trans, translocal, multi-local ministry, kind of an apostolic thing, where they're, they're housed in a local community, but they minister other places, and they come home to get refreshed and taken care of and get sent out. That's what Chris and her husband Craig have been doing for 15 years. Guys, they're, they're in communication, have been for 15 years with people in the persecuted church in the Middle East. In dangerous positions where just to go to a meeting, people are risking their lives. But also then across Europe, been training multiple leaders, um, through 24-7. Prayer movement is one thing that we're associated with through that and then through other relationships. So I, whenever Chris talks about the prophetic, I take her really seriously. Because I've seen her. First of all, did you know you can have lots of gifting but no character? Yeah, it, it's a it's a thing. So just because Chris is gifted isn't the reason. Because she's uber gifted. But I've watched her for 15 years. I've cried with her. You know, I, I I've seen the disappointments and, and those kind of things, and watch her keep on coming back to Jesus, letting Jesus form her. So I know her. And, and, but then also she really has a significant voice internationally and is getting, so what we're going to get today is a flavor of what God's saying and doing, not just with us, but uh, across the world right now. So Chris, could you come up? We'd love to hear what you have to share with us. Let's welcome her. After that, I was going to ask somebody else if they'd come up like slightly, slightly intimidating how you guys doing? There's a, this place has held us together. Oh wait, before I forget, Laura, um, it was so great that that, that Zoom workshop or that Zoom class was advertised, but you want to give a quick plug for the one in person? Is that what you want? Because that one's almost full, which I, we didn't tell that to the guys. And then Laura decided yesterday she's going to do one in person here at Believers. So can we do that? So in January, we're going to actually launch two different groups. One is going to be an online one, Thursdays at 1 p.m. But there's um, starting in January, Tuesday nights at 7.30, I'm going to host an in-person group. So you can check out our website afterwards, and you can look for those specific specifics and details. But that's all? Yeah? Awesome. Okay. Great. I, the one that was up there is almost full. So anyway, okay. Thanks for having me. And giving me the microphone, it's always a little bit dangerous. <laughs> but it's the most, um, I was telling the guys ahead of time, it's, uh, it's the, the most intimidating in your own hometown. You know, there's things that are said about your own hometown that are always intimidating. And, you know, you can't hop on a plane the next day. So it's like if you mess things up, you can always leave. And you can't leave. I'm stuck here. And we've been here for 15 years. And like Guile said, these guys have a... Uh, held us together in some really brutal seasons. So we are, we are here, and I'm happily here. And I love being anchored in the local church. It's incredibly important. Okay. Um, are Jet and Dana Stubbs here? Yeah. Dana, will you stand up really quick for me, please? Don't worry, I'm not going to prophesy. Um, but I... <laughs> But I am going to talk about the Rose Cottage because the first story I'm going to share happened in the Rose Cottage. And is it possible that was like 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago? It's been running for a long time. So if you guys need a place to get away and pray, the Rose Cottage is is a phenomenal ministry. And so thanks, Dana. (laughs) Thanks for offering that place. So I think it was about 10 years ago. um, I had called Dana and said, can I have a, a day of prayer at the Rose Cottage? And so I walked in. It was winter, I remember, because I still had my coat on and uh, my purse on my shoulder. And before I even was able to put my purse down, um, I was caught up into a vision. And I, I know that sounds dramatic, and I don't say that lightly or often, but this, um, this was really dramatic. And um, in this vision, I, I knew I was in the throne room, but I couldn't see the Lord. 
because there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. They were all just worshiping. They were worshiping in their native tongue and their native dance. I looked at the Africans, like dancing and worshiping, and the Asians and the Arabs, and the, it was just, it was astonishing. And there were several things that happened in this vision. He knew the, the Lord was on the throne, but he was miles away because of all the people. And in a moment, um, everything went quiet, and I knew, we all knew he was about to speak. And uh, the air was um, vibrating. It's the best way I can describe it. And as the hush came over the crowd, I, um, his voice just boomed. And he said, get ready for the great leveling. And then at that moment, I looked around the room and I realized everybody was the same height. There wasn't anybody taller or anybody shorter. And then the vision was over. And to be honest with you, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what to do with it. I, I came home and shared it with my husband. I wrote it in my journal. But I, like, what do you do with that? I, I, hadn't, I didn't, didn't know. I didn't sense that I was supposed to give that anywhere or share it, and so I didn't. And then um, fast forward to October of 2019. It was actually October 31st of 2019. I was in Belfast, Ireland, and um, we were at a 24-7 global gathering. So there was, I don't know, a thousand or more people there from 70 different nations. I'm, I'm bad with numbers, but I think that was right. And it was crazy. It was awesome. It was free, and the Holy Spirit was thick in the room, and the holiness of God. You know those times where just the holiness of God, like you can feel the tremble in the air? It was one of those times, and, um, and I knew, he said, now. He brought the whole vision back. He said, now. It's right now. So I, of course, sent it off to some leaders and had them weigh it with me, and we prayed into it, and they said, yeah, it's, this, is, um, this is sobering, and it's not the kind of word that you're prepared for they felt like it was right. And so next thing I know, I'm standing in front of this crowd of mostly leaders from around the world delivering this word, and, um, and I still had no idea what it meant. None of us did. We just knew it was what the Lord was speaking until March of 2020. I'm like, oh, this is, this is a part of that. This is, we're, we're all being leveled. Like, we're all being leveled. We're leveled in our humanity, aren't we? In the face of COVID, in the face of a common enemy. The whole world was leveled. COVID hit the, the palace in London the same as it hit the, 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 the impoverished in India. We were all leveled. And then 2020 kept happening. <laughs> It just didn't stop. I don't need to rehearse it all for you, but here in the States, of course, George Floyd and our political chaos. Ravi Zacharias. Like, it just kept happening. And if nothing else, can we not all agree that um, we should be the most humble nation in the world right now? Like, if nothing else, have we been leveled to know that there is nobody taller and nobody shorter, and, and we've all been uh, really humbled? I hope that's true anyway. I have my doubts in my own heart on many days. There were many times throughout the year where Mike just, I just walked around groaning and crying every day for months, as I'm sure many of you were, as I was trying to reconcile what I was seeing in the world and what I was feeling inside. All I could do was groan. There's just no words. I'm like, Lord, what is happening? What, what is happening to the believers in our country? 
have we done such a poor job of discipleship that this is what we've become? I was, I'm sorry, I know that's not happy and bubbles, but I, it's just what I was feeling. And I threw myself in there, myself, I was right in there. I was no better than anybody else. I wasn't standing up in a higher place judging. I was just as leveled. And I kept hearing him say, you're asking the wrong questions. Everybody's asking the wrong questions. I'm like, well, what's, what's the right questions? And he'd say, what is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches? And then I had a, repetitively, I saw this picture of Jesus running through the temple, flipping over all the tables. And then the Lord would say, yeah, and they're all just talking about the tables. That's all we did all year is we just talked about the tables. I often wondered if they had a leadership team meeting the next day to try to clean up the mess Jesus made. Like, who's going to fix the tables? Jesus really made a mess in the place. Like, somebody's got to clean it up, right? And I kind of feel like that's where we were, you know, quite often. So somebody's, we're just talking about the tables. Who set up the tables and where were they set up? And maybe we should put them up. We just fought about the tables. He flipped over the table of racism and he flipped over the table of sexual sin and leadership and he flipped over the table of our church structures and, and what didn't work in the middle of a global pandemic. Let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ thrives when it gets hard. So whatever didn't thrive probably needs to die anyway. Right? We work with the persecuted church, like Isle said. We can see in the scripture, Jesus' church, the body of Christ, comes alive and flourishes and multiplies when trial hits. That's what his response is. That's what the true body of Christ does in the middle of trial. So where we're not thriving right now, we really need to be paying attention. Some things need to die. Not everything. But some things do. That's why I'm thankful for this church. (laughs) So as we talk about the tables, the Lord is asking us to ask the serious question of what is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches? Aren't you bored with all the other conversations at this point? I'm really bored with, I'm so bored with, All these other, I'm not going to get specific, don't worry. But all these other conversations of things that we're fighting over and backbiting and arguing and dividing. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? What is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches? Why did Jesus flip over those tables in the first places? Are we paying attention? Are we, are we watching the look on his face? Are we, are we paying attention to the why? I'm not saying he brought COVID. Don't read too much into the theology about that, but right. Are we watching his face? Are we listening to his voice? Are we, are we paying attention as he flips our tables? One of my tables that he flipped over was the prophetic. I've been in, you know, prophetic ministry for almost 30 years. And, uh, I've done, I've done all the stuff. I've taught all the conferences. I've, oh gosh, guys, I've had to repent because a lot of those things I don't agree with anymore. Not the conferences themselves, but I taught some things that I, I don't agree with anymore because it, uh, and I'm not going to get political, I promise. But like um, Gail said, I, I, we've got the, the blessing of being involved um, with a lot of different communities around the world. And in the middle of the political crisis, the prophetic crisis of 2020, my phone was kind of ringing off the hook with people from other nations going, what is happening in the States right now? Like, what is happening? They were absolutely baffled as they watched us from a distance. Like, what? What's, what's going on over there? And I was so devastated. I was so grieved. I was so um, lost in confusion, like many of us, that I'm, I'm like, I, all I can say is that I feel like we're living in the fruits of a really deep, toxic tree. Like, is, can any of us actually say that we have felt like all these years we had the prophetic nailed down? Like, would any of us say that? No. I mean, let's be real. Like, we we haven't had this prophetic thing figured out. We haven't nailed it. Like, it, it's never once since I've been alive has it looked like anything I see in this book. Like, the, the prophetic is, has been both glorious and dreadful for a long time. Right? And uh, 
over the years, I never really, I just tried to do better myself. I tried to teach some things. I tried to address some things, but I didn't really, like, I don't know. I don't, I can't fix all that. I don't, I still can't fix all that. I don't even really know what the problem was. I just know that I would every now and then go, oh yeah, that's, that's not right. And then I'd walk the other direction, you know, but here we are. And all I could say that in my, um, in my crisis and my personal moment where Jesus is flipping over the table of the prophetic, I couldn't argue about whether the prophetic was right or wrong. I just had to observe Jesus in the middle of it. I'm like, what are you saying? What are you doing? I'm seeing things. And some of it, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's not right. I don't even, I don't know. But I, what is Jesus saying right now? And, um, so I dove into the scripture. I dove in. I started calling. I have the luxury of knowing a handful of legitimate theologians that are like PhD professors, like honored and respected theologians in other countries. And that felt really important to me at the time, to be honest, because um, we, I needed voices outside of our own bubble. I needed voices outside of our own culture. And so I started pulling in these um, theologian friends and um, asking them all the hard questions. I had to face all the fears inside of me. I'm like, I had to ask myself the hard questions. Like, do I, do I really believe this? Like this, this thing that we've been doing that we call prophetic? I, I mean, guys, I'm going to be really, but you can throw fruit at me later. Just make sure it's like, I don't know, soft fruit. But um, I'm just going to say some really uh, challenging things and you can totally disagree with me. I mean, you, you can think, think whatever you want to think. I'm just going to tell you what I think, okay? I really love um, how the prophetic functions in our country. <laughs> like, for the most part. I love the encouraging thing. I love how we call people out and say nice things to them. I love that we have the hot seat and we encircle everybody and we encourage and we build up. I love that. And I don't think we should stop. I don't want you to hear me say that I think we should stop doing that. Because I don't. I don't, I love it. I mean, that's just love, right? We're just loving people with the voice of God. And at the end of the day, his words are just better than mine. And, and so that's just a good idea and we should keep doing it. Okay. We should encourage each other. We should love each other. We should say nice things to each other, but it's, it's nowhere in this book. We don't see that kind of prophetic modeled anywhere in this book. And that's bothered me for a long time. And so I ha- I'm like, well, okay, I don't think it's sin. I don't think it's wrong, but is it prophetic? I mean, I don't have the answer to that one yet. But if, if it's not, if that's just like Holy Spirit-empowered love, which I'm all about, then, then what are we missing? What it, what's the true prophetic supposed to be? And, and is it possible? Okay, let me tell you one more thing that I don't think is going to be shocking. But is it, I hope it's not surprising to you for me to say that I think that um, in the U.S. especially, we have an idol of comfort, right? Like we're all in agreement on that one. That's not hard. That's not shocking. But, you know, it's easy for me to travel to the Middle East and see where their idols are because I'm outside of the culture. So I can see, like, oh, yeah, I can see where Islam has kind of seeped its way into their theology. Because we all read the scripture from our own vantage point. I am a white, middle-aged American um, woman who lives in the Bible Belt, the, the buckle of the Bible Belt in the U.S. And so I have no choice but to read this scripture through my lenses, the best I can do is try to learn more about those lenses, is to try to understand what those lenses are. And, and, and one of them is my idol of comfort. I really like comfort. <laughs> and I'm only kind of sorry about that. But I'm working on it. So the, but the reality is, is that in our idol of comfort, is it possible that that has distorted the way that I have read the scripture? And then therefore, has it caused me to cling with my whole heart to one passage of 1 Corinthians 14, that the prophetic is to edify, exhort, and comfort, and read those words through my cultural lens with my idol in place, and then interpret that the way that I want it to look. Is that possible? Yeah, that's really That's more than possible. It's highly likely. And then if that's the case, then what is the prophetic actually called to do and to be? So there was one night, I, uh, I sat down on my couch. I'm like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read through Acts again. So I, I was skimmed. Like I, it took an hour. I wasn't really in depth, but I've read it multiple times. So I sat down. I'm like, I'm gonna read through Acts. I've never studied the prophetic in Acts before. I mean, honestly, let's be really brutally honest. Every prophetic 
conference I've ever taught or gone to, we've used the same five passages of scripture over and over again, and then we teach lots of experience, and, and it's really fun. <laughs> and I like those. But this night, I'm sorry, that was kind of harsh. But I was being harsh against myself, because that's really the reality. Okay, I'm going on. Um, so, uh, so I read through Acts with a pen in hand, underlining every moment that I thought was, um, I was observing the spirit of prophecy. I'm like, yep, that's prophetic. And then on to the next page, that's prophetic. Almost every single page, there was something prophetic. And at the end of the book, I sat there and I closed my Bible and I, I had tears streaming down my face. And I was sick to my stomach and I was exhilarated. All at the same time, I felt like I saw the prophetic for the first time in my life. Like, like oh my gosh. Like we see the prophetic when... Ananias, this, he had to be a brand new believer, right? This is only three years after Jesus was resurrected. And so he's, he's three years at most into his journey. And, and he's, um, he's being asked by the Lord to go visit the man who's trying to kill him and pray for his blind eyes to be open. But in that obedience, he, he unleashed the most influential man for the gospel that has ever walked on this earth. We see the prophetic in Peter on the rooftop where he's experiencing this vision that he has no idea what it means, and it's rather scandalous, but in obedience to something that he doesn't understand, that it actually, like in his understanding in that moment, was counter, like didn't even line up with the Bible. We know now that it does. His vision on the rooftop absolutely lined up with Scripture, but he didn't, he didn't know that. He hadn't seen it yet but he knew the voice of the Holy Spirit enough to follow him into the home of a Gentile and and be a part of ushering in all of us into the kingdom of God in the Gentile Pentecost. (laughs) We see the prophetic in Acts 27 when Paul is on the boat and it's going through all these storms and it's barely being held together and everyone is afraid for their lives and Paul says, don't worry, I was visited by an angel. Um, the boat's not going to make it, but we're all going to make it. I, I mean, anybody stop to think about that one? The boat's not going to make it, don't worry, but you will all survive. <laughs> I kind of feel like that right now with the church. Oh, that's a different conversation. Anyway. Oops, I said that out loud. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But, so, the boat's not going to make it, but you're all going to survive because, because, Paul needed to stand before Caesar and bring the gospel to Rome. Because in every single moment we see the prophetic functioning, every single time it is to advance the gospel, it is to advance the kingdom in the earth every single time. And you know what? I'm going to say something really scandalous. Well, it's probably the fifth thing I've said that's really scandalous. But, you know, if you start categorizing all the New Testament prophetic words and put them into categories as to what they're actually doing, what they're actually saying, you know, they fall into three categories. They fall into either correction, direction, or warning. And that's the three things we've told most of our prophetic people they can't do. I mean, that's a problem, isn't it? Do you think maybe the enemy has worked to silence the prophetic, to morph it into something that it was never meant to be, so that here we are in this moment in history when we need the voice of God and the the true prophets to arise more than ever? They're not prepared. They're not mature. They're not ready to work with the apostolic, to lay foundations for the advancement of the church and the kingdom in this next season, post-COVID, whatever the heck that is. Do you think that's possible? I do. It's scary, isn't it? But I also think there's lots of other things in the scripture that make that less scary. Like the fact that the prophetic is always functioning in community every time we see it in the New Testament. It involves other people. It also involves things like we are, we, the prophetic people should be the most submitted because every word out of their mouth is, is a submission to the entire body of Christ in the New Testament, is a submission to the leaders, is, is submission in submission to the rest of the fivefold. The prophetic is never once to be a standalone ministry all by itself. 
going rogue on Facebook. That's not the purpose of the prophetic. In fact, every single theologian will agree. They do agree, at least the ones I've talked to. I don't claim to know them all, but every single theologian says that the purpose of the prophetic, are you ready for this? This is why this is important. I'm going to finish that sentence in a minute. Because at the end of this year and a half and all the different studies that I've done and all the groaning and all the repenting and all, everything, my whole year and a half is, I'm, I'm convinced now that we don't have a gift problem, but we have a purpose problem. And if we don't know the purpose of a thing, we're destined to abuse it, as the age-old adage says. So we have a lot of really gifted people who don't know the purpose of their gift. So what do you think is going to happen? And every single theologian I've talked to agrees on the purpose of the prophetic. You ready? It's really important. The purpose of the prophetic is to speak the words from God to the people of God for the purpose of aligning them with the covenant of God. In the Old Testament, of course, that's the law. In the New Testament, the covenant is Jesus. Hence the reason why Revelation 19 says, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The purpose of every single prophetic word is to call the body of Christ into alignment with Jesus. Every single one. And that can look a lot of different ways. I don't think we're all together wrong. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of prophetic that's happening today that's beautiful. That, I mean, obviously, there's still individual prophetic words. There's still... Sorry. I always cry and then I need Kleenex and it's embarrassing. Obviously, there's a lot that we're doing today that is okay. It's still good. If I, if I had a dry erase board right now, I would draw a big circle. It's like, if this is the purpose of the prophetic, I would say that what we've experienced so far is this little dot probably on the edge. It's still inside the circle, but barely. <laughs> There's a lot of great things. There's a lot of beautiful moments. And once again, I'm all about encouragement. I'm not telling us to go around being idiots. I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of people running around and just harshfully, is that a word? Harshfully <laughs> chop, harshly, thank you. I wanted to add an extra syllable. Harsh, <laughs> harshly cutting people to shreds. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Because God is love. But with our idol of comfort firmly rooted and in place, is it possible that we have seen love as comfort rather than truth and love and how it all works together? And if you do the, the word study on edification, exhortation, and comfort, it pretty much covers everything. I'm pretty sure Paul thought he was being really encouraging when he rebuked different churches. <laughs> right? It's, also, it's a cultural thing. The prophets are, are called to, to stand, to dwell somewhere in between heaven and earth. They're like, they're called to have a firm grasp on the eternal purposes of Christ and, and to see it almost like Moses did as he could get up on the mountaintop and see it from a distance and see the eternal purposes of Christ and where this whole thing is headed. And then stay in touch with the body of Christ that's um, loving him the best we know how, filled with the grace the unfathomable grace of God and speak alignment and truth and, and wisdom and direction according to the voice of heaven. That's what the prophets are supposed to be doing. It's not about the things that we make it about. I don't, can we just pray? I don't even know what time I'm supposed to end. Let me just tell you this curriculum that I've built. This is not a commercial. But I felt like I needed to do create some railroad tracks. Like, okay, how do we get from here to there? Which I'm not there yet. I'm like, I'm still on my journey. But I'm, I've had to repent and lay down everything that I thought I knew and start over again, which should be the motto for 2020, right? <laughs> but that's where we are. So how, the, the railroad tracks. This isn't a course that's going to tell you how to think. 
This isn't a course with any kind of agenda, any kind of political anything. This is a course where we're just observing the scripture. We've got about 25 different um, pastors, missionaries, and theologians that are teachers in it. And um, it's, a, it's like a college-level curriculum. It's like it's homework and lots of homework. And so it's a, it's a commitment. But it, it's, it's a biblical observation study. My, what I felt like the Lord told me in the middle of um, all of this as I was so overwhelmed by, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know how to address. I see, I get a glimpse of where the prophetic is called to be, and then I, I see where we are, and I, I don't, how do we get from here? to the, I don't know. That's only by his power. It's only by his grace. But what I did hear him say is that focus in on the real. I know how when the, um, the, the experts at spotting counterfeit currency, they, um, they don't study the counterfeit, they study the real, right? They become so intimately acquainted with the real that they could spot the counterfeit a mile away. So that's my mission. And uh, let's focus in on the real. Let's look at the scripture. Let's, let's for, not forget, but let's just put all this aside, all the, the American prophetic stuff, whatever. It's, I'm sure there's great things in there. I just don't even know. I can't even look there yet. I have to look at the real. I have to study what's in the Bible. I have to look at the prophetic and the spirit of prophecy throughout the scripture and, and get a good understanding of the best I can to be intimately acquainted with the real and what it's supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like and, and the flavor of what it's supposed to be. And, and, more, and the more intimately aware I can become of that, then I'm hoping I'll be able to spot the false a little bit better. So that's our mission. I feel like that's our mission for more than just the prophetic, don't you? Can we just um, gaze at the real and let the rest sort itself out? Because we're just, <laughs> I sometimes feel we're, we're just arguing in our own minds and not getting anywhere. So let's just look at the real. Sam, can we, is it all right? Do you want to do something? Joe? Okay, good. Come here. I'm really bad at this part. Is that okay? Am I fine? No. Let me just stay up for just a second. So, um, Ephesians 4.11. Paul says, for beginning of Ephesians 4, he says, okay, the church is one church, one body, one faith. It's all this beautiful stuff. And then he says, but God has given the church gifts to help her become all that she's supposed to become. And then when he starts describing those gifts, he actually names people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, five different gifts that are actually people and stuff that God puts in them. And it says that then those are to equip the body the rest of us, to be ministers. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then it says what will happen out of that is we'll reach something called the unity of the faith. We'll start to get our heads around who Jesus is and what he's like. Like being near him and like him. And we'll, we'll image to the world what Jesus looks like. In other words, it says we'll be mature and look like a person. So what happens with a gift that Chris carries, which is the prophet, is so I'm in more of the teacher pastor part. So what you're watching happen right now is she's laying this out here. And really, that's as much as she's really supposed to do as a prophet. She's kind of, wow, I can feel the presence of the Lord up here. What is happening? Whoa. <laughs> no, I just feel the presence of the Lord. No, but the, so here's what I'm doing is saying pastorally as a shepherd, how, what do we do with this? It makes sense. We, we, what, what, do I, what do I do about this? And I realize we've got multiple audiences right now. One audience is prophetic and a sermon about prophetic. Where am I? <laughs> what is happening right now? Well, what I feel like the Lord might be inviting you to consider, and, and I I'd, uh, encourage you to go back to uh, a sermon we did on August 22nd. It was about the prophetic, about how we see it in the scriptures, it's just a normal part of being the church today. That God speaks to his church like Jesus did to each of those churches that are in Turkey. Uh, it was Asia Minor at the time. At the first 
uh, two chapters, two, three chapters of Revelation. He said, hey, I got a message for these guys. I got a message for these guys. God still does that today. And so your response in this moment might just be, do I believe that? And just talk to Jesus about it. If, if that's new to you and that's weirding you out, awesome. Did you know that more, I feel, I find God does way more to transform me in disorientation than in making me feel good. <laughs> I want to feel good all the time, baby. But, but he's like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to kick this table over and, and, cause you don't really need it. And like, <laughs> anxious, anxious. But he, a lot of times he needs to do that. So I'll even give him my attention to say, man, I was really counting on that. What are you saying, Jesus? So that's one of our audiences. There's others of us. You, you've been around believers long enough. You're cool with this whole idea of the prophetic. We make space for it during the services. That's why we have somebody come up. We have somebody who discerns, is this for the whole body? Um, what I want to offer to you is a, a great deal of comfort. Just to know that several of our elders are going through this training along with Chris. So we're doing our best to say, what does the scriptures actually say about this? So that because, because a gift got abused or weirded out, has anybody seen some weird prophetic stuff on the World Wide Web? Yeah. So what? So what? That, that's really, I mean, because there's weird teaching, there's weird music, there's weird all kinds of stuff out there. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do something. In fact, it's, it seems like the enemy does his best to twist the things we most need. So what I love about what Chris is doing is it's really courageous. It's humble because she's saying, you know, I was wrong about a bunch of stuff. Or at least I, I could fi- feel it, but I don't know what it was. And, and so it's, it's like she's on a world apology tour in many ways, I think. I, I, I've been on that for about a year and a half myself, so um, I know what that's like. But to take some comfort in this, maybe you should jump into this thing. You're like, I'm really interested in knowing what that looks like. Um, and then there's, there's another group, and, and you're just going to have to let me get pastorally direct here, okay? That you know your prophetic people you listen to. And you know the reasons that you should rely on them. And this came true and this came true and this came true. I want you to let Jesus upend your table on who you listen to. And I know it's going to tick some people off right now. But we have to be willing to let Jesus do whatever he wants to in us. I'll just tell you, my personal journey the last two weeks have been very disorienting. I'm not going to tell you the reasons why. But I've been like... Uh, who am I and where am I going? And I've realized just as t- today, oh, he's doing some deep, deep things in me. And I'm probably never going to get back to normal. <laughs> and that's okay. Because I'm noticing I'm more sensitive to him than I was even just two weeks ago about some stuff I was wrong about probably. And just, it's It's hard. But if you've got your, your, I know this is the guy. What if you just stopped listening to anybody and just went to the scriptures? That's really what this journey is. Because I, I actually teach one of the sessions. We're just talking about what is the kingdom of God. And, and just let God rebuild something. That doesn't mean you're not going to re-engage with something. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But if we're not open to letting God upend, that's what we call idols. Anything that we say God's hands off, even if it's our our special Bible reading time every Thursday morning, if that's more important than meeting Jesus, that's an idol. Okay, so I think what might be good, and you tell me if this sounds good to you, is just we have a time where we just, whatever of those categories you may be in, you may be a blend of one, just ask Jesus how do you want me to respond to this? Some of you guys just maybe, okay, I'm going to be comforted that the best I can, our leaders are trying to hear God. Some of you are going to say, I need to dig this, dig into this because it's bugging me. Some of you are having a crisis and just let it be a crisis. Jesus is not going to leave any of us in the middle. He loves us. He is pulling us to that finish line. 
But I promise you that it's going to involve some difficulty to get there. That's why we have to be encouraged in Hebrews 12. The cloud of witnesses has to encourage because he says, yeah, you haven't striven to the point of not shed, of shedding your own blood to get here. Jesus did. You might have to do that too. What? <laughs> it's okay. It's normal. It's normal. It's normal. It's normal. So let's respond to the Lord. Sound good? Okay, so yeah, maybe you guys can just lead us in some worshipful music and and just have some time. Yeah, pray for us, Chris. Yeah, is that all right? I am. Um, I feel like this this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. That there is a, a great invitation for a fresh revelation of the fear of the Lord. And the, um, I know that phrase kind of um, is confusing, but let's. Put it this way, a, a fresh revelation of the majesty of God. A, a fresh revelation of the tremble. If we really saw him for who he is, we'd be on our faces and wouldn't be able to get up. Ever. If we really knew his majesty and that every breath we take is grace. The amount of grace that we have needed these last 18, 20 months, it's immense. So can we, um, can we just pray for that? I'm asking for a revelation of his holiness is what I'm asking. So Father, as we lean in and, and sing together, which is beautiful, it's right and good to worship you in this moment. Will you help us? Holy Spirit, will you help us with a fresh outpouring revelation of your holiness, of your majesty, of awe and wonder, that we would once again tremble in your presence, that we would remember who you are and who we are that our arrogance would be leveled, that our presumptions would be leveled, that our assumptions and our great knowledge would be leveled in the majestic presence of the King. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just going to wait in silence with the Lord for about five minutes so these guys just have a worshipful environment just to do business with the Lord. And then we're going to close with a song. So if you've got kids that are what you're waiting for, don't know this is not going to be interminable. Um, but also we're going to do a soft close. If you just want to stay, you can stay. All right? So we'll just wait about five minutes in the presence of the Lord to see if he's got any business he wants to do with us. Um, also know we'll have people up front if you want anybody to pray with. We could have a couple of prayer team members to come. All right. After we sing, we'll dismiss.
one thing I want to share with you guys. You know, in um, the Old Testament, there was one person once a year that could come into the presence of God. One person that could enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And when they did that, when the high priest did that, they would tie a tether around his waist. 
in case the presence of God was so intense that he dropped dead and they could pull him back out without going in. This was a real risk. First of all, what kind of God do we serve that the presence, there was no other idol in the ancient days where they had to be that careful with approaching him in the temple. But in the temple of the Jews, of the Hebrews, to know that God, to go into the Holy of Holies, meant you could very possibly drop dead. So they had to tether you. I got this sense weeks ago where the Holy Spirit said, Jesus wants to reverse the tether. He wants us to be so tethered to him, to make us a people so worthy of the Holy of Holies that he's already put in you by the Spirit of God that you are always anchored in the presence of God no matter where you go. That Jesus, now you're tied to him. You're tied to Jesus Christ who stands in the very presence of God all the time. And wherever you go, you are tethered. He wants to make you a people that are tethered to the presence of the holy God so that wherever you go, you bring the presence of God Jesus, we are not there yet. We're not worthy of that. We can't be that except for you. Jesus, make us that people. Make us that people tethered into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. So we're going to dismiss right now. Here's how we're going to do it. What we call a soft dismissal. Get the sense the Lord wants to hang out if we want to. Um, so if you need to leave, please do. And please, it's not a judge on, judgment on your spirituality, okay? <laughs> you don't leave and love Jesus less if you have to get your children from their classes. But we're going to do a soft dismissal. So if you would like to talk, if you could do that in the hallway. And we're just going to worship Jesus a little bit longer. I want to ask Jesus if there's anything... That I've said, Chris has said, Joe said, it's not Jesus. It would fall to the ground. Don't argue with that stuff. Just ask Jesus what he's saying to you, okay? All right, love you. If you'd like to stay in worship, please do.
again. 